Welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. The Cover 2 Resources podcast is an ongoing series in which we interview experts in the fight against opioid addiction. It is made possible through donations and sponsorships from concerned individuals or organizations. If you want to help in the fight against opioid addiction, please consider donating or sponsoring the Cover 2 podcast. Go to cover2.org for more information. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. As the grip of the opioid epidemic tightens across America, more schools are contemplating drug testing. We wanted to learn about implementing a drug testing program from a school system who recently completed the process. We found that in Lacey Township, not far from the Jersey Shore. This podcast features three administrators from Lacey Township, and that is Superintendent Craig Wigley, Assistant Superintendent Dr. Vanessa Clark, and District Supervisor Will Zielinski. Hi, this is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources, and I'm here today with Superintendent Craig Wigley. Craig is the superintendent of Lacey Schools in New Jersey. Um, I'm also joined by Dr. Vanessa Clark. Vanessa is the assistant superintendent, and as well as Will Zielinski. Will is the Lacey District Supervisor. So welcome to all. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. Okay. So Lacey is uh, located approximately 30 minutes, 30 miles, excuse me, from Atlantic City, New Jersey, and they've uh, addressed a hot topic um, in their community, something that we're looking at here locally, and that's drug testing in their schools. So who wants to start us off with how you began this process? Um, I guess I'll start us off, um, and thank you for inviting us here to talk about this. It's a topic that we have been talking about for quite some time. Um, I guess I can start to say that uh, we, we've we always, you know, been aware of, of substance abuse awareness in our schools, um, but we started talking about random drug testing uh, with our Board of Education and with our then superintendent. Um, and it was interesting because we knew that not many school districts uh, had implemented a program. In fact, at the time, um, I believe the number was about 19 school districts. Um, and I, I guess to put that into context, there are about 600 school districts in New Jersey. So uh, we started having the conversation, but with very little resources, we knew that we were going to have to start from the ground up. We knew that we would absolutely have to involve our entire community, uh, which we did, um, we knew that we were going to have to work closely with our Board of Education, 
um, and with our high school administration. And, you know, we can talk about that process a little bit later, I suppose. Um, but it was a slow process, and it was intentionally slow because uh, when we talk about a program such as random drug testing, we know that uh, it strikes a chord with many people in different ways. And we knew that uh, it was going to have to be a slow process and that we were going to have to take it uh, sequentially and um, we were going to have to plan appropriately uh, before we were ready for a full implementation. So by striking a chord in many different ways, give us some examples of that, if you could, doctor. Well, uh, we knew that students were going to feel one way. We knew that parents were going to feel differently, and some were going to be for it, and some were going to be against it. Um, and then when we talk about staff, we knew that uh, staff members were going to feel uh, differently, and we knew that some were going to be for it and some were going to be against it. So we knew that we had a lot of hurdles. Um, but we were very intentional when we decided to include students in our committee uh, because students have a voice, and it was important for us to make sure that they understood what our program was, is, and what our program is not. And that, I'm going to be honest, took um, some time. Uh, we had quite a few forums where we had parents join us, uh, staff members join us, students join us. And so um, that's what I mean when I say that, you know, we had to be very cognizant of varying opinions. Okay. So how long did it take to from the time that you began your discussions to the time that you were ready to actually present something to move forward? So I'm going to say that we started uh, in the summer. Um, it was probably at the end of a school year. We went throughout the entire summer um, and then thought that we were going to be ready for a September implementation. So we're looking at, you know, six to eight months where we had been discussing and meeting. Uh, we actually did not implement the program until the following January. So it took probably a full year of discussions and sit-downs and policy development, which I'm going to say was probably the most complicated part of the entire process was that policy development. I'm sure Will's going to be able to talk about that um, a little bit more. But I'm going to say it took a full year before we were ready for full implementation. And when we thought we were ready, uh, we actually were not. Okay. So you implemented it in January of what year? We did January of 2014. Yeah, that's correct. So January 2014 was our first uh, random drug test, if that's going to be our, our starting point. Okay. Uh, but uh, we've been preparing for that moment for, uh, for over a year. Um, we pushed the date back just to make sure that um, uh, things were done right uh, with consent of the community, like uh, Dr. Clark had talked about. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, that was our first, uh, our first random testing. Okay. And who was subject to the random tests there, Will? Well, random testing varies, I believe, state by state, but most states, uh, following Supreme Court decisions allow random testing of high school students if they participate in co-curricular activities, uh, park a car on campus. Uh, go to school dances, uh, anything that is outside of a normal, what's considered a normal school day. Uh, most state and the federal Supreme Court allows uh, random testing of students uh, based on that criteria. 
So almost everyone, as far as the student population is concerned. Uh, we probably, and it's called a testing pool. Uh, our high school testing pool is probably upwards of 90% of our high school population, which is currently residing at about 1,300 students. Okay. So does your testing also include staff then? Our testing does not include staff. Okay. Uh, the decisions have only allowed for random testing of students, not of adult staff members. All right. So leading up to your implementation in January of 2014 of this program, how did you get buy-in in the community? We, we had a large amount of buy-in uh, in our community prior to starting the process. Because not unlike Ohio, uh, there is a, a drug and certainly an opioid epidemic going on on the East Coast, which is where uh, Lacey Township is. Uh, your greater buy-in hurdles were, are we ready for this at our high school? And that was the big thing. Nobody would come to any of our meetings and talk about a random drug testing program and say, we don't need it. Um, you couldn't find a single member of the community that says, we don't need this. They just want, they were very concerned with how we were going to do this. So that was our larger hurdle than getting quote-unquote buy-in from any of our community members, parents, uh, and students. Um, you know, that, that certainly uh, uh, was already here. Um, you know, and not unlike, I'm sure, uh, places out in Ohio, uh, you know, you have members of our community, young members of our community who've left our high school who have passed away due to uh, uh, drug uh, um, overdoses. Yeah. So what kind of testing did you implement? Uh, well, our random testing program tests for a host of, of, uh, uh, of drug spectrum, including alcohol. Um, the drugs are, uh, that are tested each year, uh, we go through a panel uh, that the Board of Education approves, that this is the panel that we are going to test for. What we do is we rely on uh, our testing company to tell us which drugs we should be testing for based on national norms. So he gives us a panel each year. It says these are the drugs we need to be testing for, uh, and those are the ones that we go after each year. Uh, it is a dynamic panel. Each year it can change uh, based on what's going out there. We actually had a story about a year ago. We had parents coming to us saying, hey, I hear there's a new drug out there. It's called this or it's called that. Uh, our uh, group that works for us actually did research on that drug to see if it's something that we should have been testing. Uh, it turned out that it wasn't. Uh, it turned out that it was a, a, some kind of synthetic drug that was located in a different part of the country. Uh, but certainly, uh, you know, we can change our panel that we test for every year. Okay. So, and what type of testing is it? I mean, are you doing a urine test, hair sample? How does that work? It's a urine test. Urine test. Uh, it's, uh, I, and I'm not sure if New Jersey says you have to urine test, but I remember back on my research that that was the one that they would allow in high schools. So it is a urine test, uh, and the, uh, the urine test is sent out and tested, and we get the results uh, within about three days. Any concerns or any uh, diligence, I guess, with uh, overseeing the integrity of the testing? In other words, not uh, having somebody... There's a lot of concern with, with the integrity of the testing. Yeah. Uh, that's built into the policy. The policy is very rigid on how samples are treated, uh, where they're sent to, who handles them, who seals them. Uh, so, uh, that is laid out directly in the policy. 
So it's not, you're not relying on anybody to just make up their rules or how they're going to handle a sample or how they're going to put a sample together. Uh, so, you know, we haven't, knock on wood, had any problems with that. Okay. So how did you deal with actually collecting the sample to ask an uncomfortable question? But I mean, you kind of, to make sure that of the integrity of the program, I, I think you got to have witnesses, right? It's, I think the question you're asking is, is, is that you're asking high school students to pee in a cup. Right. And uh, surprisingly, that was a very small problem. Um, I think that when we worked on the policy with the students and we had class meetings in our auditorium, we had smaller meetings if they were required, where we talked about the importance of the program and what the students would need to provide for us to make the program happen, uh, that didn't become an issue. Uh, I thought it might. Uh, we do our testing in a secure location with uh, uh, people that I believe uh, these students trust. Uh, it's private. Nobody observes them do the test, but there are some safe measures where they can't doctor the test. So nothing's done in public. Uh, there are adult testing that goes on that's witnessed and observed. That's not the case for high schools. Um, you know, they give a private urine sample. Uh, they test the urine sample for temperature and color. Uh, when it comes out to make sure that it isn't tampered with. Uh, and our students have done very well. Uh, and we've had, again, knock on wood, no problems with the students uh, worrying about privacy, worrying about integrity, worrying about how they're doing the testing. Okay, so it's a third party, and the third party is doing their testing then off-site. Is that right? No, on-site. Oh, it's on-site. Okay. Our okay. testing is done on-site at the high school with a third-party provider, um, and we work directly with a medical review officer. So that third-party provider... Uh, collects the test samples, they're tested, and then a, a medical doctor, medical review officer will review those results before they even come back to us. Okay. So uh, let's talk about failed drug tests. What happens then? And, and how many of you experienced if you can quantify it in some way? I can't quantify uh, how many we see come back positive. Uh, that is uh, confidential information. Uh, what I will tell you is that we are fairly in line with any norms that we're seeing state, uh, statewide and countrywide as far as positives that we're getting back. Can you share what um, those are, to the best of your knowledge, statewide or countrywide? Uh, you know, it, I can't say for sure because it's been a little while since I've really looked up the state samples. Um, I remember when we first did this, you're looking at between 4 and 7% are coming back positive. Um, we are... We are, you know, a lot of high schools are seeing less than that because they're high schools. Um, you know, when you're talking about the population as a whole of those years, we're talking grades 14 to 18, as a whole in the country, they're seeing more, and they're taking samples from everywhere that are coming back positive. High schools do better because you have students who are in school, students who are studying, students who are in sports. Uh, so you're, you're doing better than that 5, 6, 7% number uh, as far as coming back uh, with, a net, with, a, with a positive test. So in other words, students are not using drugs as much in high schools. Um, could it be a testing program? Maybe. Could it be that they're involved kids and that they're in sports and they're in activities? Maybe. Um, but you're really trying to give them that extra measure of not wanting to start using drugs. And that's really what we believe the program is about. It gives them an extra reason to say no. It gives them an extra reason to ask for help. It gives them an extra reason to do a lot of the things that they might not do if there's not a random testing program in place. Sure. And I'd like to add, 
like to add, Greg, to that mm-hmm. is that you have a school district, you know, school district A does not have a random testing protocol, but it has a reasonable suspicion protocol, which is also by law. So those school districts are predominantly going to have a lower number of, of um, positives because they don't have the same pool that they're, that they're testing. So the, the kid that's visibly under the influence in school, you know, you may have three or four of them in a year at a certain high school that's not doing a random test. When a random test um, program is flagging those students, it might be um, using on the weekends, not quite under the influence at school, but we're flagging them and, and there's more intervention, more help. So there's, there's a lot of pluses to it. So the positives and the numbers become somewhat irrelevant um, in regards to the results we get for uh, being proactive. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So what happens with failed drug tests? What action is taken? In a failed test, uh, students uh, have a 10-day um, time period where they're not allowed to participate in any activities. Um, failed tests do not impact their, their educational life. It's going to impact their uh, co-curricular or extracurricular life. Um, and that, that gets progressively worse is if there are multiple failed tests. But really, we concentrate on that first test because that's where the students need the most help. They could be asking for help. They could have gotten caught and need the help. Um, so really, that first level of getting help um, and sitting out of an activity for 10 days uh, is really the first step. Coupled with that is uh, mandatory meetings with a substance abuse counselor, or they're called student assistance counselors as well. Um, they have uh, four mandatory meetings with them, uh, plus they come out of the random drug testing pool and they're required to be tested multiple times now over the course of the year that are not at random. That's usually called for by the student assistance counselor. It can be called for by administration. Uh, everybody has their hands to try and help that student at that point once they fail a drug test. So is that automatic or is there some discretion on that switch from random to non-random? No, that's automatic. If, you, if okay. you're in the random program mm-hmm. and you fail a test and the medical review officer says you failed because there can be, you know, that's the fail safe that the medical review officers looked at results and looked at them extensively, um, then you automatically go into uh, uh, that phase. Got it. Okay. Uh, any other aspects of failed tests that you cared to share? How you handle those, that is? No, it's, it's, a, it's a very, it becomes really a, a private situation where the students, the family, and the parents are meeting with us. Uh, it's on a different level because now we have reason uh, to worry about a student. Because remember, the whole, the whole program is about getting them help. Yep. It's not about the penalty phase. It's not about anything punitive. Uh, it's about, wow, uh, your parents or us or the student says, I needed some help with something, and I've been using drugs, and now I need to come forward, and I need to, to change something about me. You know, many of the students can be, I just tried at a party, um, you know, once, and that has happened. Uh, and we've seen students that are habitual users where, you know, we catch them on a random test, uh, and they have to, um, uh, uh, you know, get real help because they've been using for a long time. Okay. So... What would the three of you recommend for other schools who wish to roll out drug testing? <laughs> I'd recommend they look at our policy. <laughs> um, we've had several schools that have based their random policies in New Jersey on ours. Uh, oh. Not that it's, it is it is stood the test of time. It's only uh, uh, in its third season. Uh, but <laughs> we made it about the students. 
Uh, we made it about getting them help. It's not about the district looking good or looking special or any of that. It's really about the students getting help that they need. And that's where I think we found a large degree of success in getting the parents and getting the students on board and getting the community on board. Everything that we did was always about identifying and helping somebody who has not been identified so far as far as needing help with, with any kind of drug abuse or alcohol abuse. Okay. And Greg, I'm going to, I'm going to add to that, um, and, and kind of reiterate what Will said, that probably the most important part of this was to involve our community. And so we had four open forums, public forums, that we hosted prior to full implementation. And one of the things that was interesting to us is when we first developed the policy and the regulation, um, we, we had decided that the consequence on a first positive would be more than the way it currently is. And so we ended up changing that to be less punitive because of the feedback that we got from our students and our parents. Um, and surprisingly, when we brought that information to our board, our board also sat back and kind of said, wow, we never considered it to be this program where we really weren't thinking about being punitive. Rather, we were more interested in being helpful. Um, and so it, it was so important to have those public forums because we learned a lot, but I think that our community learned a lot as well. Yeah, and, and, and I would add, Greg, in regards to uh, Northern Ohio is, is no different than, uh, than, than where we are. We, we're all in the same caring boat uh, as a community. The parents, people don't want to see this in, in their community. They don't want to have these tragedies and this continuing. So being being newer to the district here and seeing the legwork that was done before, to me, is pretty inspiring. And um, being part of this committee and it's a collaboration with our community is important for me too as the new superintendent. But um, we're we're expanding this down um, to our middle school as a 100% opt-in program um, to to get this to get our children at those early years of experimentation um, with another tool to say no, another deterrent, which I think we need to focus on not just the education piece, but also just on the conscience of, of what's right and wrong. And uh, to give an excuse to a young adolescent that, no, I can't do this, and they refuse it, is powerful. And, they, and it, it kind of gets them off the hook from their peer group sometimes, and we want to give them every opportunity. We're, we actually just approved also um, an alcohol sensing um, uh, regulation and policy where we'll be breathalyzing at our, at our events, too, where our students attend. So... We're a multi-prong effort. We're, we're watched into the community, and uh, and we're definitely pushing forward. This is you know and you know making the best effort here in Lacey. Um, as long as you mentioned it, Craig, let's talk a little bit about your breathalyzing program. How does it work? Is this uh, part of a reasonable suspicion program? As part of that, a complement and a tool that you use when you have some some suspicions, or how did do, how does that come into play? It can work both ways. I mean, you can have the, uh, it's a device that's passive. It's not blowing into a straw. Um, it, they are very sensitive, you know, and, and they're calibrated and maintained. Um, we just received the devices and they're going to train our administrators on their use. I and mean, this is fresh off the, off the presses. Um, my previous districts I've been in have all had policy and these procedures in place already. So I'm, I'm kind of glad to come down to Lacey and bring that here. I think there's some excitement about it. Um, it, we, we spread the rumor out, uh, this year that the, the policy had passed and the devices were in place before the, our homecoming dance and we had no incidents. And, and, uh, I think the, the, the deterrent was definitely there just by the mention it was going to exist. Um, the randomness of it, 
uh, it's, it's very similar policy to the random drug. Um, it's, it's a, a sequence of numbers where kids are pulled out of line if they're in the dance getting in for admission. Um, if there's a water bottle or something like that that we want to wand over, it'll pull up a, a sense on that. So a reasonable suspicion is pretty easily. You smell it on someone's breath, but you can use this also as a confirming one. And then there's a follow-up test, a referral that goes out. This isn't an end-all. It's just a first, um, first line of defense. Fascinating. Excellent. Okay, well, I want to thank you all. And any final comments? None other than, uh, you know, giving, giving these students reason or an excuse or uh, anything more to help them fight something that is so terrible as, as drug and alcohol abuse. You know, uh, we were always on board with that. And, and that was the reason that we went forward with a program like this. Outstanding. And, and you've got many people, many school systems that have modeled your policy there. Can we publish your policy along with this podcast? Yeah, we, our, our policy is, is, is public, yeah. Yeah, okay, so great. Certainly, uh, so, share that with you. so that would be that'd be nice to do. Fantastic. Well, again, thank you uh, all very much for participating in today's program. Um, we've been uh, meeting with Lacey School System in Ocean County, New Jersey, and we've met with Superintendent Craig Wigley, Assistant Superintendent Dr. Vanessa Clark, as well as District Supervisor Will Zielinski. Again, thank you all. My name is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. With your support, the Cover 2 team can continue to research and broadcast these resources to others in need. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time. <laughs>